Hey everyone, uh, welcome to ELI, the place where you get your daily dose of inspiration for entrepreneurship. And today we have with us Mr. Lalit Vise. He's the founder of uh, Bizom, uh, the retail intelligence platform. Uh, Lalit is a graduate of uh, Shivaji University and has uh, worked for companies such as Siemens, uh, Sender Mobile Phones, and Infineon uh, Technologies before uh, becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, hi, Lalit, welcome to ELI. Hi Priya, pleasure to be here. Uh, I'd uh, request you to introduce yourself to our audience, please. Right, so, okay, let me give, uh, I think Priya gave a professional introduction. Let me give a more personal introduction. So I'm born, brought up in Mumbai, computer science lad, worked in corporate for about eight years, started my career as an embedded programmer, eventually was a program manager in a semiconductor company. Somewhere in 2006, 2007, I felt that I'd been there, done that in corporate life. So quit my job, started out on my own. Uh, the uh, company that I co-founded, a company called Mobisi Technologies, was incorporated in 2008. So it's about 13-year-old company right now. Two failed attempts at building business later, sometime in 2012, is when we launched our current flagship product, which is called Bizom. Uh, so now Bizom is running for eight, nine years right now. So that... Yeah, I'm a father of uh, two wonderful children, love mountaineering, uh, cycling. Yeah, that, that's, that's a bit about me. Uh, so starting with the questions, uh, tell us about Bizom. What is it about? Right. So Bizom stands for business on the move. As we call it is that it's a retail intelligence platform. So uh, it is aimed towards CPG companies or consumer companies who reach to their consumers using mom and pop as a channel or Kirana, as we call it in India, as a channel. Uh, now, place like India, 90% of our retail happens through mom and pop or Kirana as a channel. Similar situations exist also in other emerging markets, which are like, you know, your Middle East, Africa, Southeast Asia, and so on, so forth. Right. So now the problem with when this 90% of your retail is happening through Kirana, the brands, the consumer brands like your Unilever's and ENGs and all of that, they spend anything between 30 to 50% of their annual turnover on what they call it as route to market, which is which involves your multiple routes, like you will involve a distributor, the retailer, before it reaches to you as a consumer. There are other people in the ecosystem, like field sales executives and merchandisers, who are essentially helping to make that route to market uh, work. What Pizom does uh, is that helps these brands to optimize that 30 to 50% spend towards maximum growth using a vertical SaaS product. It's a, it's a pure play cloud SaaS product that Bizon provides. It allows them to digitalize that entire ecosystem of route to market, whether it's the field workers or supply chain nodes and so on and so forth. Uh, it helps them to optimize it using uh, AI, ML, or analytical models that we have, proprietary analytical models that we have built in Bizon. And it helps them to expand by bringing in some level of network effect. Uh, in the geographies that they focus in. So kind call it digital transformation or sales, digital transformation or sales and distribution at what Bizon does for this consumer uh, goods companies. Uh, and how does it uh, do that? Uh, can you help us with the example uh, for a, a better understanding? Sure. Sure. Um, so, uh, so these are the kind of, so these are the players that you would possibly know in this CPG ecosystem in India. So one is a player like a friendly neighborhood, Kirana Shopola, uh, right? So this guy, what he does is to keep goods in his shop, he needs to get them from different, different brands. He needs to order them. He needs to get them delivered. He needs to pay for them. 
all of that stuff, right? Uh, so there is a sales executive from a brand who visits him at least once in a week, typically once in a week or once in a fortnight, to take the orders from you know to say okay what do you what which products does he want to keep? So he needs to keep on uh, keeping uh, so he needs to keep on buying stuff every week or every fortnight for his shop, right? So once the sales executive takes that order, that order gets to the distributor who comes and delivers to that particular shopkeeper and collects money and so on and so forth. When the distributor's inventory gets over, the brand needs to send more inventory to the distributor. That's how that whole supply chain sales works. Now, what Bizom does is it digitalizes the uh, retailer. So, so, you know, there is an application for retailer where he can see what is the best products for him to buy today uh, and essentially place those orders. Okay. It also digitalizes the sales executive so that when he visits the shopkeepers, the application can tell him what all activities he can do, some history about, some intelligence about the shopkeeper himself to allow him to place or, or introduce the right products at the right price to the, that shopkeeper, depending on his nearby uh, vicinity and the, the kind of consumers the shopkeeper serves and so on and so forth. Right? There's also a web application as well as a mobile application for distributors, which allows them to you know, mark those invoices, do compliances, GST, mark collections, keep the ledgers and stuff like that. So it essentially digitalizes the retailer's day in life, the sales executive's day in life, and the distributor's day in life. Now, all of this, when you're digitalizing these day-to-day -day transactions, Bizom does that for about 200,000 odd uh, distributors and sales executives and another 150,000 odd retailers. Right. Uh, through them, we actually uh, capture uh, insights for about seven and a half million unique uh, uh, retailers uh, in, in in India alone. Right, and we do that for about five hundred and fifty odd uh, CPG consumer brands, so to say, worldwide. Uh, and uh, all of these information insights allows us to tell tell okay how can they do it better how can a distributor work better or how can salesman work better how can a uh, retailer work better uh, to make more, more more productive more make himself more productive uh, and that that's essentially uh, what the whole digitalization analytics suit is what this does right so I was able to explain that yeah absolutely I think that that is a massive scale of operation you are doing would be very interested to know how you reached uh, to this point, how it all started. Right. So as I told you, my first two attempts uh, at building startup uh, or building business failed quite miserably. Uh, sometime in 2011, then I was looking at uh, different product opportunities to build. I'm, I'm actually personally not from CPG background. I'm, I'm pretty much a techie. Uh, but I happened to have some chance interactions with FMCG founders. So I ended up meeting a, a co-founder of a beverage startup. I also ended up meeting a co-founder of a, a perishable food startup. Uh, and these guys were talking about this problem in this India kind of ecosystem to reach consumers, saying that, look, you know what, we are, we are producing these uh, products and giving it to distributors and distributors are giving it to retailers, but we really don't know what happens to those. I mean, are they reaching the right retailers? Are consumers uh, actually picking it up? So there's zero data, zero feedback coming to me from market. And in place like India, it's very, very hard to do that. Now to my tech mind, it sounded like a simple problem to solve using a cloud uh, SaaS or mobile first kind of a solution. And that's when I said, look, I can, if I, I mean, if I build this, will you pay me? Uh, or, or would that be a uh, product that you would be willing to try as a SaaS model? And they said, yeah, why not? Uh, and uh, the guy, can you introduce me to some other guys who are facing similar problems? So they, they actually introduced me to two, three of their other 
compatriots. So I had first five customers who paid me some, I think almost five lakh rupees in each advance. So together there were about 25 lakh rupees, which formed kind of a seed money for me to build the first version of Bizom, so to say, back in 2011. Uh, so you say you got your first customer without even uh, building the product. Tell us about what was the first version of the product like? Uh, how was the MVP? Right. I mean, um, so, uh, okay. As I told you, when the when I, when I actually got the customers onboarded, all I had was PPT and some prototype that I had created on mobile phone, right? So I'm, I'm a programmer myself. So I had built, uh, based on their understanding idea, I had built a, a working application, so to say, which would capture the data, show the analytics and stuff like that. But that was still a working prototype in a sense, it was not a full-blown application. So that was working prototype and along with the PPT is what I got these brands to come on board uh, to buy Bizzle. Once they were on board, then it was about, you know, fleshing out their requirements. So I actually went, went and uh, met their distributors. I went in, on the field, met the retailers, spent time with their sales executives and so on and so forth to actually understand how those businesses work. Uh, then uh, my co-founders and others, we are about five people team, then we kind of designed it out and, and built uh, the first version. The first version of the product actually didn't even, wasn't even on smartphone uh, because on 2012, there weren't enough smartphones. Uh, the, it was for a, it was for a handheld device. I don't know whether you guys have seen that or remember that it's this big handheld device with a large screen, uh, like the kind of devices uh, our bus conductors in Bangalore use, uh, slightly bigger than that. It was a Unix-based or Linux-based uh, device like that, and we had uh, built and loaded our application on those devices. And I remember we manually carried those devices for the first go live of my first customer. Uh, you know, gave it to the sales guys, taught them how to use it, and then that—that's how I think the Bizom's uh, first version was kind of launched. Okay. Uh, after the uh, first version is out, the next big challenge is to make it market fit. How did you achieve product market fit, man? Right. I mean, as I told you, in the first five customers, we didn't really scale beyond first five customers for first year, year and a half. The entire focus, and that I think forms the DNA of the company as well. The entire focus was on making those five customers delighted. It was not enough to be customers to be happy. They needed to be delighted. They needed to see that they are getting more value from the product than what they have uh, even thought about paying for it, right? So I think for next year or so, we did not even sell it to anybody else, just focused on making these customers successful. Uh, thankfully, as I said, these customers came from different, so there was a beverages company, there was a uh, incense company, Agarbatti company and stuff like that. So these companies actually gave a lot of feedback in terms of how the product could improve, how could it make it easier. They used, thankfully, they were like good customers that they use the product really extensively. Uh, the founders or their owners took personal interest in terms of understanding how it works, what kind of data comes, how it can improve and stuff like that. That gave us a lot of feedback to iterate on top of that particular one. Kept on iterating, iterating, iterating till a year, year and a half down the line, we were able to say that we have, you know, delivered some lot of quantifiable outcomes to those businesses in terms of their own business growth. Once uh, that happened, uh, we shamelessly went back to those five customers and told them that, look, uh, you know, uh, now we have run out of all the money that you had ever paid us and we need more customers, otherwise we can't sustain. Uh, so can you please find us now that you depend on us, uh, our survival is also as important for you as it is for us. Uh, why don't you give us references to other customers uh, who will 
buy so instead of investing any money in sales we actually invested a lot of time and energy in just product and customer success so to say uh, that it allowed us to get those references so those five customers gave references to 25 customers those 25 customers gave references to 100 customers that's essentially how we build business even now we seldom do kind of outbound sales our, our main lot of our sales and growth comes from existing customers and the references that we get from the existing customers okay can i say that is the one growth hack that you have tried absolutely i mean that's the simplest and it's in your control right make your customer really delighted uh, deliver more value than what you charge them for every single time uh, you will never uh, be hungry yeah sure uh can you tell us uh, currently uh, what are the different metrics that you uh, track on a day to day or month to month basis to know how your uh, product is performing right um so the biggest uh, for us the biggest uh, thing to track on the top level is what we call it as a uh, engagement right or 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 so is a saas product uh companies want this product to be used by the people they are buying the licenses for we need to ensure that almost 100% of those licensees actually use the product day to day right if they are not using the product day to day that means the value out of it is going to be less or the value is not enough from the product that they don't feel necessary to use it so so daily uh daily active users and keeping our entire universe as daily active is the one of the biggest thing that we track on a month on month basis okay on month on month we actually track it on week on week basis almost uh the second thing that matters is the both usat and csat uh in the sense user satisfaction as well as customer satisfaction uh in our case the users are slightly different than customers our people who pay us are uh, the brands the large brands and uh, people who use it are the retailers and distributors and sales executives and both of their happiness is really important so we we give Uh, our product kpis are linked to uh, user satisfaction which is actually end user whether they are able to deliver derive value out of it again and again not only are they using it but they are actually happy about it uh, so we measure capture that and measure it uh, very religiously customer satisfaction uh, index comes from you know some sort of uh, uh, net promoter scores or uh, uh, every time a customer calls us we get a feedback from them and stuff like that keeping that very high is also important because while these users are using the product that particular insight or data is going to be used by the parent brand to drive business growth so are they getting enough for particular business growth from it is something that we uh, track fairly uh, religiously as well so those are on the uh, how do i call it on the uh, operational side on the sales side we typically capture uh, the an uh, mrr which is monthly recurring rate uh, it's a very religious metric for us uh the cohorts the churn rates and stuff like that number of logos added and so on. uh you seem to have figured out uh, what most comp- most saas companies struggle with uh, that is uh, uh, after they sell a software to the customer uh, if the customer is u- using or not uh, not using and uh, they struggle with people buying the software but not using it so uh, can you tell us how do you first track how what percentage of the customer and uh, inside a customers company how many people are using the product uh, which uh, we can also say uh, the product usage uh, and uh, if the product is not being used or the there is a drop in the uh, usage rate how do you uh, what changes do you do to again uh, uh, 
have more customers using the product or more success they got get out of the product sure so you can say we are in a way that we chose a hard way to scale business what was the hard way we said we will not do sales we said we will only get our customers to refer to other customers and now if you are trying to do that that means every customer needs to drive value out of your product now if not everybody is using it how will they drive value they cannot drive so that's the that's the reason why we always from beginning started focusing on 100% usage uh, so product itself obviously has built in those logs and uh, uh, you know instrumentation to capture uh, you know who's using how much using uh, we have a support or a, what we call it as a centralized customer delight team uh, which essentially uh, is a bunch of uh, bunch of uh, uh, you know my colleagues who sit and ensure that the customers are actually delighted now what happens is in india if you look at this ecosystem of retailers distributors and sales executives if they have a problem with the application they typically will not call a, uh, they are not going to call a help desk so even if there is a phone number kept for help desk or even if you tell them this is help desk to call they will typically not call this uh, help desk guys now and that's what we used to have whenever we used to saw usage drop nobody had a complaint that's the worst part right so you do, people are not using it and nobody has even complained about a product and we were struggling to how to find that out so one of the so we call ourselves an algorithmic jugaad company in a sense that you know we we have processes or algorithms and we essentially bring those innovations which essentially allow us to skip uh, orbits in general so one of this algorithmic jugaad that we did for solving that problem because we said look we have this team centrally sitting and they are not getting support calls why don't they call so we build those dashboards for our team itself to say okay look this is the usage problem these are the people who are not using the solution and this is the last time this is some information some sort of a crm this is the information about these these users who have uh, licenses or you have user ids but not using uh, and we started doing outbound calls to those guys uh, to say okay look you know we see that you haven't used bizone today are you facing any problem and this this was phenomenal because the brands loved that uh, our customers loved that because now adoption is no more their only headache we are actually partners in their journey to ensure that there is an adoption and a usage also forced us to take direct user feedback to make application or other bizon easier and easier to use uh, and uh, yeah and that that just that just became a habit or a culture uh, which we continue to do today i mean the only thing that we track or are mad about is uh, 100% usage and uh, increasing baus uh, Uh, in a saas company it's 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 i i like i don't haven't met enough people who track that as religiously as we do is there uh, any uh, point where you pivoted uh, your business model oh i mean before bizo many times after bizo uh, not so much i mean so okay maybe maybe a little bit right so initially uh, Bizom wasn't a vertical. I wasn't. I didn't conceive when we first built Bizom. I did not know this is there is something called as vertical SaaS. So I thought, you know what, I am building this uh, field sales automation solution. Maybe it can be used by any verticals. Uh, but uh, this whole references model meant that we kept on acquiring more and more consumer companies or FMCG companies, and that meant we kept on building the product more as a. uh you know more more specific to that particular vertical and then we realized that there is no point in kind of building something generic uh rather than we would just go and go deeper because this is a vertical we understand uh so we will go deeper and the market is large enough to do that uh so we just then decided consciously to focus on just cpg and you know uh build the best amount of value to cpg uh, as a vertical 
Uh, and that kind of thing turned out quite well. I don't think so. Maybe we did not conceive Bizom as a vertical SaaS product. Eventually, it became a vertical SaaS product. You can call it that way. Okay. Very interesting. But before Bizom, we, we pivoted to toys, not only business models, we pivoted the whole business. Uh, I mean, we started with the tech product, which was a phenomenal tech product, but uh, no business model there. Uh, and then we went into services business to just feed ourselves. And then we came across myself. Fair enough. Uh, now we will come to the personal side of uh, being an entrepreneur. Uh, tell us why you chose the path of entrepreneurship. I think you had a very stable career with great companies <laughs> and, and I'm sure they would be paying good. Also, why entrepreneurship? Right. Um, okay. Uh, from the from the time I can remember, I remember that I wanted to uh, be a businessman. I mean, entrepreneur is a fancy word, but I, I wanted to be a businessman. I'm a child of a, a middle class uh, parents. Uh, my father was in Maharashtra government. My mother is a school teacher. Was a school, I mean, now both of them are retired now. Uh, so I surely did not want to do a job. I wanted to do a business. That was, I think, I always. So when I first found my job and I was going to California, I mean, I, so my, one of my first job was in California. Yes. So my friends were asking me, why are you doing this? Why are you going there? And I said, no, no, I, I'll, I'll build, I'll, I'll build capital by going abroad and earn a lot of money. I'll, I'll actually build capital for my startup and then I'll come and do startup. Two years went by. Then I got married to my girlfriend, moved to UK. And then that got plan got postponed. Another two years went by. My first child was born. We moved back. We decided to move back to India. Another startup plan went by. Somewhere in 2006, mid 2006, one of the guys who walked up to me, one of my colleagues, office colleague, walked up to me and asked me, Lalit. I mean, he took me out for lunch and we were just talking. And he said, Lalit, I'm trying thinking about starting a startup. Would you like to join? And that, that is when the whole stuff again reignited, saying, look, you know, this is why I wanted to do while I never ended up building the capital and the plan did not go the way it wanted. Uh, now is an opportunity for me to start doing this again. So I said, yes, why not? Let's let's think about it. Then we, we essentially brainstormed for six months, then quit our jobs. And yeah, then another year spent in just ideating and then started. Okay. Uh, once uh, you were determined uh, that you'll uh, start up, uh, you'd also need people to uh, uh, build the product or the uh, vision you have. Uh, how did you find such people? How did you recruit people into your venture? Okay. <laughs> Again, it's over, something that is over a, era, a period of, uh, so one of the first things, so when I, when I decided that I'm going to, so this friend of mine called me for lunch, we went for lunch, he said, I wanted to do a startup. I said, yes, I also wanted to do Both of us had no clue what startup we are going to build, what product we are going to build. We said, ah, we are going to build startups, nothing else. We don't know anything about it. So what we then started doing is started attending conferences and stuff like that, okay? We started forming some ideas about uh, what businesses we are going to do. So during that time, I, I at least, at, uh, I don't know if, I, if I'm still am, but mostly I, I was, I'm a very introvert. I, I generally do not like to go out and talk to people. Now I'm attending conferences. I can't talk to people. It was very hard. One of my friends told me, let, let, uh, pitching is an acquired skill. You have to learn how to pitch. 
So she taught me how to pitch. I mean, I actually uh, mucked up how to pitch, you know, product idea, how to explain elevator pitch and stuff like that. The reason why I told you that story is for hiring, one of the most important part is pitch, right? So as an entrepreneur, you have to, first thing you have to learn is to pitch because you're selling all the time. You're selling to in prospective investors, you're selling to customers, you're selling to prospective employees and all of that. The, the, my, my, the first, my, my first co-founder, a very close friend, he also said the same thing, Lalitha, we need to have at least two more co-founders because if we can't convince two other people to come and join our startup, how are we going to convince the millions of people worldwide to buy our uh, uh, technology or product and stuff like that? So we did very easy when we did a very easy thing. We just had two of my uh, colleagues uh, in my uh, company that I was working with. So we had four co-founders to start. Uh, but when our first startup failed, uh, all of us decided to go back to corporate jobs. Uh, my other three co-founders were hireable and they found jobs. I couldn't even write resume. I was completely unemployable. So, but they were nice enough to say that Lalit, you know, since you want to continue, we will, uh, you know, return the equity and rather we'll put the equity back in the company. You rebuild the company. The second time, I had to again now start building team. So we did not start. I did not think about which product to build or what business to do. They said, look, first we need to have team. Uh, and uh, then I went out again and talked to. People, so by now I knew how I was fairly good at pitching and, and, and attracting. In spite of that, uh, one of my co founder is uh, my wife, uh, she's married to me, and one of my co founder is not married to me, of course. Uh, but yeah, so now two co founders. So I would say marry well, have good friends, uh, those are the easiest people to hire. Typically, uh, uh, typically do not do a one person startup it's very very hard uh, very emotional journey very up and down journey so try not to do it alone find somebody else to do it along with it uh, and it's fun to do it with friends i don't i don't buy that perception that you need to have like a uh, you know you need to have one product person one one business person one operations person or whatever you know one cio one one ceo one cto one uh, co uh, I think just uh, find two people uh, whom you would love to spend 10 years of building startup with uh, and you will acquire those skills as needed, whether it's needed for CEO and CTO or CEO and stuff like that or whatever CEO. Uh, now that you have come so far, uh, what is the vision you have as a person or uh, as an entrepreneur? Okay. So vision is a very, very uh, big word. Uh, look, when I started, I mean, again, I remember this part very clearly. Uh, one of the things that we asked is why are we doing this, right? Uh, so we said we want to create, because money is a silly objective, right? Once you make some level of money. So when you have no money, it feels like money is everything. But once you have some money, uh, the importance of money goes away, right? So making money was never an objective. So we said we want to create impact too. Rather, it's not the main objective. Any which way. Uh, we want to create impact on hundreds of millions of people. And that's been generally the guiding principle of whatever pivots and everything else that we have done in Bizon. Uh, to say that we are we moving towards making impact on hundreds of millions of lives. Uh, and how are we doing that? And that's why the focus on measuring BIUs and stuff like that. Are we improving lives and are we improving them in a large enough way? I think we still think about business in the same way that while we are still building a SaaS, not necessarily a consumer product, it's a B2B product, uh, we still want to back hundreds of millions of lives worldwide. That, that's, I think, what drives us. What are the different challenges? 
what are the different challenges that you have faced uh, along the way while uh, building a bison? Oh, there will be way too many. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very difficult to say a few challenges. There will be all sorts of challenges. Uh, so, like you said, I mean, apart from co-founder, just hiring uh, the rest of the larger team, keep on hiring. Typically, in a place like Bangalore, hiring is uh, hiring engineers is always a problem. Uh, fundraising or I mean, ensuring there is enough cash flow uh, all the time. Uh, uh, so product scaling, uh, I mean, and key engineering skills, sales skills. I mean, we have we didn't we had to learn a lot of sales skills, marketing skills, and so on and so forth. So yeah, so any kind of challenge that you think that a startup can have, we I'm sure we have faced it some time or other in the last nine years. Any failure that you have uh, gone through as an entrepreneur? Many, many failures. Yeah, I told you, right? Two times, so I failed miserably as a. So my first uh, tech start startup was a tech startup uh, which was building what we call it as mobile web runtime. We wanted to change the. Uh, so what you today have is a React Native or a P progressive web app or Flutter. We had built that in 2007, even before uh, smartphones came along. We kind of invented hybrid mobile programming. So we had built this cool. Uh, sexy tech tech product uh, which uh, nobody wanted to use or nobody had uh, any wherewithal on how to use maybe far ahead of its time uh, we were naive entrepreneurs we did not know how to raise money we did not know how to sell it to customers uh, and uh, we went bankrupt I mean, we literally had uh, no money left to uh, even feed our families or ourselves uh, and we had to beg borrow steel from uh, relatives and uh, that that's actually one of the reasons why we decided to go back to corporate jobs uh, so yeah, uh, uh, so this is the pure failure at business. Uh, on chota mota failures, though, you keep on doing even now. Right? I mean, uh, that's a part of the journey. I mean, uh, sometimes you fail in account, you can't close a deal. Sometimes you fail to release uh, your products in a good time. Sometimes you fail to understand users properly, so the products which are released are useless. Uh, so yeah, uh, the, these are just part of the journey. What did you say is the meaning of entrepreneurship to you? How do you define the term entrepreneur? I think so. For me, it's about creating value uh, on outside. So from a so this is a more I'll, I'll tell a more generic uh, explanation, a personal one. Uh, so generic one is obviously it's about creating value right uh, in the ecosystem. Whether it's creating so uh, how are you creating value? You are creating value. By, so let's say we bizon essentially is. Uh, uh, improving productivity of the whole ecosystem of your field sales and distribution and stuff like that. So eventually is actually uh, improving that overall output of that throughput of that entire ecosystem. And that's the value uh, that Bizom is creating. So as an entrepreneurship that that has to come from as a fire to create that value somewhere or other. That's the basic uh, at a core level. Uh, but for me, apart from this value creation as a uh, this thing. Uh, it's about for me it has been always been about working in teams working with people who are smarter than me uh i mean and, and, and having a fun journey uh, uh by doing that i think that, that that's that's for me personally entrepreneurship has been far more about working or dealing with uh in my corporate job i as i said as an introvert i would never interact with anybody i would not understand what is happening around me my code my computer was the only important thing as an entrepreneur, I have interacted with hundreds of employees, uh, thousands of customers, uh, users, uh, tens of thousands of users, and that has enriched my network, my understanding. So things I could have taken on myself years to learn, 
I have learned very, very quickly by just uh, working with people who are smarter than me in certain aspects of life. Uh, so for me, that entrepreneurship has been far more about just working with uh, people smarter than me. Finally, uh, my last question to you. Uh, what is the uh, what are the different lessons that you have learned as an entrepreneur which we can take away and apply to our uh, lives or our ventures? Uh, and more importantly, we don't have to go through the same learning process uh, the uh, ones you have gone through. Sure. So this is something I tell to anybody, any entrepreneur who comes to me for an advice. So first, first and foremost, right? Uh, uh, don't do it alone. Yeah? You have to have a co-founder. Think about it this way. If you can't sell it to one co-founder, how are you going to sell this beautiful idea to the rest of the world? Uh, the second thing is do not, so if you want to be an entrepreneur, think about it is at least 10 year journey, at least 10 year journey. It's not a six, it's not like, you know, I'll raise funding in the next six months. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go back to my job. If you are thinking about it for six months or a year or even two years, if you're thinking about it that way, do not do it. Uh, because uh, most uh, entrepreneurial ventures take at least five years, especially for first time entrepreneurs, it takes at least five years for them to even understand what's happening. Uh, another five years to actually make some sensible business out of it. If you can sustain yourself for 15 years, uh, you will almost 100% always be uh, successful monetarily, uh, at least. Okay. Uh, so think about your horizon as 10 years. That will force you to uh, force you to uh, force you to build a more sustainable uh, business from day one. Uh, focus on things like beautiful things like revenue and uh, margins and stuff like that. Uh, right. Uh, third thing is uh, always focus on uh, focus on value you create. Don't, don't don't worry about money. Money money follows value. Yeah. And this is a guy Kawasaki uh, quote which I have always been. Worry about making meaning. Uh, don't worry about making money. If you make meaning, uh, money follows all the time. And uh, and uh, last uh, but not the least, marry well because it's not you are not the only uh, entrepreneur. It's uh, your spouse, your kids. The entire family is going to go through this whole entrepreneurship journey. So make sure they are on board uh, with respect to what you are trying to do and they are there to uh, help you, support you when uh, things don't go as well as they do. Uh, well, I, I would say uh, it was a very interesting conversation. And the uh, last part, uh, Mary, well, uh, it would go to my LinkedIn. Uh, status. Uh, thanks for your time, uh, Lalit, and our best wishes for Bijan. Absolutely. Thank you, Priya. It was lovely talking to you. Take care.